Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Gerald Garcia. We're talking about how to treat something we've all experienced at some point in time, back pain. 80% of people will get this in their lifetime. It's the second most common reason people see their doctor and the most common cause of disability and workers' compensation cases. 30% of folks will have this become chronic pain, but what can you do about it? Are there exercises you can do right now to help strengthen your back so you don't have pain the next time you bend over? For anyone out there who's ever had their back go out, well, this show is for you. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, many people are familiar with combination therapy with medications to treat conditions like high blood pressure. What about diabetes? Which is better, slowly starting one medicine at a time or starting three medications all at once? Well, in a study sponsored by the American Diabetes Association and reported at the annual meeting of the European Association for the Study of Diabetes, researchers have determined that for those who are newly diagnosed, using three medications at once reduced the chance of inadequate control of diabetes at the two-year mark by 84%. This is a groundbreaking study that tracked not just the immediate, but the longer-term effects of more aggressive treatment for diabetes. Lower sugars translates into less chances of developing kidney, eye, heart, brain, and nerve problems, all associated with uncontrolled diabetes. Although medications are often given in a stepwise fashion, this might be a better method to ensure longer-term results and benefits. Speaking about increased risk of heart problems, many people, about 600,000 a year, have stents put into their coronary arteries for blockages. After having this procedure performed, there have been some questions about how long to wait for other non-heart-related surgeries. In some cases, for emergencies, there's an increased risk for heart problems if the procedures are too soon after you have something like a stent. But now the recommendations are clearer. There is a study published online today in the Journal of the American Medical Association for those who have had stents placed, either the bare metal stents or the ones with medication implanted called drug-eluting stents, waiting six months for any non-heart-related surgery if possible is advised. Previously, people were suggested to wait up to two years. Well, you know, studies didn't show that much of a difference if you had a surgery after six months after a stent or if you waited two years. If you need to do the surgery medically, you can do it sooner and still be safe. Hormones are back in the news. Also, again, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, a report on the long-term use of estrogen and progesterone to prevent chronic disease. The verdict? Not a good idea for most women to use either pass either of these past the initial years of menopausal symptoms. The downside, an increased risk of cancer for the combination hormone therapy, increased incidence of strokes in either group, and an increased risk of cardiovascular disease in those who use hormones, suggests that caution has to be emphasized with any use of hormones, with the expectation of long-term gains not really statistically being apparent. Short-term use is generally offered to women during the most symptomatic time of menopause, but with an emphasis on the lowest dose only for as long as necessary. 
Ever wake up and want to know if that stiffness in your back could be a sign of something more? Been afraid to take strong pills because you're concerned you might get addicted? Dr. Gerald Garcia from Hawaii Institute of Pain is a pain management specialist, and he's in the studio, and we'd like to hear from you. If you've ever had back pain, you can join us, 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Garcia, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you, Dr. Kozak. I am happy to be here joining you and your listeners. Good evening to everyone. And this is your second time. We're going to talk about yes. back pain again because it's, it's so common. Yes, it is. As you mentioned, 80% of people, the general population, can get it at some point in their lives. Now, what kind of activities are we doing when we get this? If you, We often hear people say, I quote, threw my back out. What do they really mean by that? What, what are we doing? So usually the common activities when people know, first notice uh, back pain is when they're bending over. Um, we call that flexing their lumbar spine and, and lifting something. So like um, the laundry basket? Exactly. Um, twisting and turning or if you're picking up really heavy trash or... Exactly. So our daily chores, when not done right, can a- actually start, lead to a low back pain symptoms. So when you get... So what's the first thing? You know, so how many of us, I mean, I certainly have done this. You twist the wrong way. You bend the wrong way. You feel this little tightening in your back and you go, oh, let me quick just stretch that out. At what point does it get to to the situation where it's bad enough where it doesn't just stretch out? Is this Is this something people can get at any age? Is it, you know, if I lift over and bend and pick up the laundry basket and I feel a little twinge in my back, what's the first thing I should do? So usually the um, the common uh, symptoms for a muscle type of back pain, which would be the most common thing, would be mainly what we call axial low back pain. Low back pain mainly in your back. Once you start noticing back pain going down the leg, then I would be more concerned because that could be coming from the spine. Like if you've herniated disc, then you're looking more into something uh, that would probably require more uh, medical attention. The first thing I would do, assuming you just have back pain that's mainly in your low back, doesn't go anywhere, does not radiate, would be to uh, wait and see, really. You can take some over-the-counter medications for uh, pain relief, and and it's really watchful waiting at that time. So... Don't lift up that laundry basket again. Well, yes, or not obviously. the same way that I did it. But don't worry yet; time may tell. Exactly. And so maybe reach for some Tylenol if you feel you need to. Should I go lay down for hours, or should I just keep going about my day? I think it would be advisable to actually go about your day for as long as you know you can tolerate. So keep moving. Don't just. Assume that, oh, my God, I'm in pain. I'm going to curl up and not get up anymore. Exactly. Studies have shown that people that resume their normal activities actually do better. And I wonder if that doesn't have to do with the fact that, you know, if your muscles go into a spasm, letting them tighten up and not doing something to lengthen them or to stretch them out would probably lead to them just staying in that tightened position. When you're walking, when you're doing other activities, you're kind of forcing your body to to strengthen and stretch out those muscles like it or lump it. That's exactly right. And that's a whole uh, concept of, of therapy when we send patients who have back pain to physical therapy. 
It's for them to start using those muscles and actually keep them from spasming. So, okay, so let's say that I that I lifted up my laundry basket, I hurt my back, it's day one, and I say I'm going to go about my day, I'm going to take a couple of Tylenol, I'm going to keep going through my day, and see how it goes. How long should I expect to have discomfort? For the standard muscle-related strain of your back, is this going to be something that bothers me for up to a week or two, or should I feel like if I'm not better day three, there's trouble? What should I expect? So first of all, you could have it for a couple of weeks, but it should, in general, be getting better. You know, you can still have pain on day three, but that pain isn't going to be as bad as the pain you had on day one. So if you have a trend of, of improving pain, then you're in pretty good shape. Um, the other thing, usually these things self-resolve. So after even up to a couple of months, they you really don't do anything major in terms of interventions, in terms of even um, imaging or, or tests, unless you have other neurologic, what we call neurologic symptoms. But for if it's back pain, but you're able to go about your normal day-to-day activities, those can resolve. And it may take a couple of months for them to resolve. So if I've if I've injured the muscles, give it some time. Exactly. Continue my activities. Don't do what I did that caused it, if at all possible. Or do it a different way. Do it a different way. So if I lifted and twisted and turned and did it all wrong, or they always say lift with your legs, exactly. don't lift with your back. So if I can find a better functional way to do that activity. And physical therapy, if you're if you have a muscle strain, does that play a role here? Does that help? initially or do you wait until you feel better where does that come into play physical therapy is plays a major role in low back pain and in pain in general because it trains your muscles it trains your body the to posture your body right and it also strengthens your muscles um ideally you would want to do physical therapy when you can so if you have a lot of pain and you're unable to do so um then you won't get the maximum benefits of physical therapy. So if you can't stand up straight, going to a therapist who's going to make you do a whole bunch of stuff, not so helpful till you can stand up straight. Exactly. And Sounds like, kind of like common sense. It, it is. So, and, and I say these things because I actually have lifted up the laundry basket and gone, oh, I know I did that the wrong way. That's such a bad plan. So, okay, so you just follow some general guidelines. If it hurts, don't do it that way. If if you can work with a therapist or if you know the better way to do lifting, focus on that. Take medication only as needed. Now, heat or ice, there's a big debate. Some people say ice reduces inflammation. Other people say heat makes the muscles relax. Is there any science behind that or is it really personal preference? I think ice would be the preference, but I have had some patients um, say that heat is better for them, and I never really uh, lean one way or the other. I just think that ice makes more scientific sense because what causes pain is inflammation, and part of inflammation is heat in addition to swelling, redness, and pain. So doing the opposite, putting ice on it, may reduce some of that inflammation. Exactly. Kind of like if you sprained your ankle, you kind of put ice on it to reduce the swelling. Exactly. But if after a few months you still have pain periodically, ice or heat, either way? 
I yes, I would be if it hasn't been like I lifted it yes. yesterday. Whatever it works could be up to you because okay. at the end of the day, you know they're all they're both minimally invasive. Risks are very low of using either one. Whatever works for the patient. All right, so we talked about the usual muscle spasm kind of back pain. In just a minute, we're going to talk a little bit about what to do when it starts to radiate down your legs, turning into more of a nerve-related problem. But before we do that, we have got a caller on the line. We have Dara from the North Shore. Dara, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to chime in, um, and then I had a question. Um, I had a... Um, a, a back injury, and it was uh, not not too bad at first, and then it kept getting worse and worse, and then the pain started to wrap around um, on my left side, and and it was you know nerve related. So I did get an MRI and found that I had a disc bulge, not a rupture, nothing nothing that could you know that I needed any surgery or anything. But the, the difficulty was is really how to treat that so that I could get back um, to doing things I like. And uh, for a while there, I was kind of getting um, a little little depressed with how progress was going until I really went to a therapist who showed me a different way to stretch because I always was into stretching, but I couldn't stretch the same way anymore uh, without causing, you know, uh, more issues with my back. So... Um, I'm just throwing that out there for food for thought. And, and then I wanted to say I'm at a point where I can do a lot of things, but I'm still a little worried about going the whole way and rupturing it accidentally or anything. So I'm, I just don't know much about this, this whole L6, L7 rupture that I have. And, and you know, right now I'm, I'm doing the maintenance with um, the right stretching and conditioning of my core. But well, it I'm, sounds like you're doing a lot of good stuff. Now, you mentioned that you have this problem. Is it in your low back? Yeah, L6, L7 area, I think, is where it's at. I'm thinking that you're probably in L4, L5, because we don't L4, have an L6 L5, or L7. It's, yeah, it's in the very okay. So it's in the lowest part of your back. So what you're afraid of, Dara, is, my God, you want to go back to doing the activities you enjoy, but there's a fear element that if you do something and completely rupture that disc... What's going to happen? This time you were lucky, you got better, but boy, it took you a while and you needed some help with some therapist to help you learn how to stretch. Is what you're saying, how do you know when to go past what you think right now are your limits and do so safely? Correct. Uh, yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question, Dara, because you are so not alone. I think a lot of people who have had problems with back injuries or back pain, they just don't want to overdo it now. There's a fear element and, and Dr. Garcia, they're afraid. So in somebody like that who had a back injury and maybe it affected their, he mentioned the disc and a nerve, but there's nothing there that required surgery, at what point can you comfortably and safely get back to what you used to do? So that's a good thing, Draw, that you did physical therapy. And actually part of the therapist's job is to make sure you do things the right way. There's certain, you can, having a bulge on your back should not keep you from doing the things that you normally do or enjoy. And I do get that question a lot when patients um, ask, okay, if I don't have pain, then am I going to make myself worse because now I can enjoy things? And that's not the case. You're not going to worsen your bulge uh, by any means or uh, 
herniate it any further just by doing the normal activities. That but you, doing you it do the right way. And doing it the right way. So is that the key that when you talk with a the therapist, you know, there's always, I tell people there's the, there's the acute phase where you have pain. You need to learn how to make the pain go away through stretches, exercise, activity, et cetera. But then beyond that, there's really the true rehabilitation phase where you learn how to go do those activities you used to, but do them in a safer fashion. Exactly. So what Duran might want to consider doing, talk with the therapist, show them. You know, I yeah. always think people underestimate what, what we know when we think about doing therapy. I may think I'm stretching the right way. And then a professional therapist would look at me and be like, what are you doing, lady? That's totally wrong. And I may think I'm doing it great and I'm all sorts of smart and stuff. But then somebody could just come over and say, you need to move your leg three inches in one direction or another. And I've actually had people say this to me and I go, yeah, but that feels different. That's a lot harder. And then they say, yeah, that's the point. That's the right way. So having a therapist observe what you're doing, if you want to do a particular activity, making sure you do it correctly might be something he could consider. Exactly. I think that's, you know, the best way to go. But you should also not uh, limit yourself. If you're not in pain, you should be able to enjoy the things that you normally do and just not live in that sort of fear. You have to keep in mind, having a disc bulge is pretty common. And I could have it and just not have any pain right now. There's really no correlation to the degree of your bulge and the degree of your pain. So somebody could have a really big bulge and not have any pain. Somebody, on the other hand, could have a very minor bulge and have extreme pain. So it really is getting back to that personal experience of what you're, what you're feeling and how much pain you have. And that probably alludes to something we'll talk about uh, after a quick break, which is imaging studies. Because a lot of times people say, but I want to know right now what's going on so that I won't do something to make it worse. And yet in the sudden phase or in the beginning phase of back pain, Doing things like MRIs and x-rays never really proven to be that helpful. So we'll talk about that in just, in just a little bit. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Gerald Garcia of the Hawaii Institute of Pain. And we are talking today about back pain. If you or someone you love have ever experienced this, or if you found a great trick that worked for you on how to make sure that it didn't come back, you can join our conversation at 941 3689 Toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. When we come back, we're going to talk about nerve pain and also when are imaging studies most appropriate. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a quick break. On the next Humankind. The Environmental Working Group analyzed some data, and they found that if everyone in the United States ate no meat or cheese, one day a week, it will be the same as not driving 91 billion miles. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for the Diet Climate Connection on Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Not everyone comes to HPR's website looking for program information. Some folks want to support the station but aren't quite sure how. Maybe you want to make a monetary contribution, or maybe you want to contribute time as a volunteer but don't know what kind of work is needed. Well, if you go to hawaiipublicradio.org and click on Support HPR, you'll find links to all different kinds of involvement. The HPR website, it's just a click away. 
Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Gerald Garcia from the Hawaii Institute of Pain. And we're talking today about back pain. 80% of us will get that in our lifetime for some period of time. And what can we do to not have it happen? And what can we do to not be afraid if we have back pain of going back to usual activities? Before the break, we were talking with Dara from the North Shore, mentioned that learning how to do an activity correctly means you should be able to go back and do it. Now, he mentioned a couple of things. In the beginning, we were talking about muscle spasm-related back pain. And Dr. Garcia, you alluded to a different type of back pain, which might be more nerve-related or neurologic. And Dura had some of those symptoms, but it sounds like he worked with a physical therapist and got better. What's the difference between I pulled a muscle versus I have a pinched nerve or I slipped a disc? How does that feel differently and how would somebody present differently if they had that sort of situation going on? So once you have nerve involvement or nerve root involvement, you would have, as I alluded to earlier, what's called radicular symptoms, signs of an irritation of your nerve root. Because remember from the spinal cord, these nerves go down to your leg. And so your pain would radiate down to your leg or your buttock. Um, all some the way all the way to your toes. Sometimes you'll have some numbness and tingling in the same areas, um, and that would now point more to more than just a muscle sprain or a ligament sprain. So, what would I do if I had some of those symptoms? Where, you know, often someone will say, you know, I don't really feel it so bad in my back, but boy, I feel this pain that shoots from the buttock area all the way down my leg. And every time I lift up my leg, I feel this like lightning strike going down my leg. That tends to lead somebody to think it's more of a nerve. How do we treat that differently than if it's just a muscle? So that type of um, pain, there's different types of medications that involve nerve, uh, that target nerve pain. And we can, you know, have another show just talking about those medications. Uh, But... If you were one of those patients, I would actually start to seek medical help. And the only reason being, a doctor could really assess you and make sure there are no what we call neurologic deficits. There's no weakness in your legs and other things that could could um, point to more serious uh, conditions. So that so would start off with that. See your doctor and... They would make sure that you're safe. You know, you're exactly. not weak and rule one of your out legs. the red flags. You're exactly. not having any major problem. And then, if you're not, should you get better in a week or two? Would you get better in a month or two? If you truly have a muscle spasm or something pressing on the nerve, causing those sorts of nerve symptoms, what would be the duration of time that you would expect to have to deal with that? So that can last very long. Can last for at least six months or even longer. Um, I think patients with that type of pain would actually benefit from uh, steroid injections or even um, uh, a trial of steroids that they can take by mouth or even the nerve pain medications. So So, those are different. So when we talk about pain... You know, some people say, I want to take Vicodin, I want to take Tylenol with codeine, I want to take Percocet. Um, But those really just treat certain types of pains. When we're dealing with nerve pain, you'll probably be disappointed if you expect that medication to to treat it because it really can't. Right. All it does, it it 
tells you that you're not in pain for a brief period of time, but it really doesn't do anything with regards to the actual cause of the nerve pain. So you're setting yourself up for a lot of the potential bad side effects of these uh, medications that you just mentioned, which we call opioids. So a better alternative is if you if you have this pain for a long period of time, you wind up in a situation where you don't have the red flags, you don't have the weakness of a leg or something like that, and you're still not getting better with traditional nerve medicine. That's where things like steroids, whether it be an injection or in a tablet, might help you. Exactly. So it might actually help you a lot more than some of those other pain pills will. It will help you a lot more than some of the other pain pills will because like it treats the cause you're treating the cause pain pills over time just make you uh, develop a dependence on it and like I mentioned earlier these types of pains can be there for a long term and if you just take those opioid medications you're not treating it you're not really fixing right. the problem all right we've got some very uh, very interested callers in the line we have JB from Waimea JB welcome to the body show yeah, I just wanted to mention a couple of different things. When you get, um, I've been an athletic trainer, a personal trainer for 30 years now, and so I've seen this kind of problem happen a lot. When somebody bends over, picks something up improperly, that kind of thing. Um, in my experience, the best way to treat it is, of course, with the doctor's approval, is with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. You got it, JB. Uh, you're uh, talking like your ibuprofens or yeah. something and like Aleve. Yeah. Tylenol, which is not an anti-inflammatory, which would not help that at all. But in the case, and I've worked with even professional teams and everything, and these are bigger bodies that I'm talking about, but if you can go up to even 1,800 to 2,400 milligrams of ibuprofen right after the onset of this injury happens, and along with ice, it solves itself literally within a couple of days. And, of course, that, that, that has to be doctor-approved and everything, but it's not Tylenol. It would be ibuprofen or Advil, something like that, an anti-inflammatory. And then, of course, you have to get the blood level up to where it is an anti-inflammatory effect, not an analgesic effect for pain management. Now, JB, I have a question for you because yeah. you've been doing a lot of, you mentioned personal training and stuff. Do you find that people who have an injury when they bend over or lift up something heavy along those lines, are they using bad lifting technique? Is that something that we, that we think we're doing it correctly, but we're really not? Are you, you're witnessing this. You're, you're working with people who are in this situation. What do you think causes them, even with the best of all guidance, to have a problem when they lift up something heavy? Well, it's, it's probably poor mechanics. Unfortunately, normally they come to me after it happens. But um, once they come to me with an injury, and then I can tell them to consult their doctor and say, can we cool this thing down because it just happened. It's red hot right now. Let's cool it down, not only with ice, but let's cool it down with some Advil and some ibuprofen and ramp that thing up before it gets a hold of you, because once the inflammatory process takes place, it's a lot harder to cool down. 
All right, JB, so your advice would be get on the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like the ibuprofen, Aleves, naproxen, Advil. Do it quick, do it fast, and get rid of the inflammation as soon as you can. Immediately, but it has to be under a doctor's consent. Absolutely. Call your doctor and say, this is what happens to me. I'm hot, um, I've got this going on, and my trainer, athletic trainer, said that I should go on Advil and ibuprofen on um, two days or three days of high dose. Do you agree? And pretty much they always do. As long as your kidneys will take it and your stomach will take it, those are things that can be done. Well, I want to well, thank if you. If you're having food with the ibuprofen and the Advil, you shouldn't have a problem because that's one of the only side effects that really happens with that. Unless, um, unless you've got some other symptoms going on there, then your doctor would say, no, you can't take it. Well, again, you got to watch those kidneys. You do have to be careful with that. But I do think that you're absolutely right. Using medications immediately if you have an injury, trying to make sure that you get rid of the inflammation. That's the theory of the ice and the other non-steroidals. Um, steroidals being things like steroids and prednisone and shots or pills. Excellent ideas. But thanks, JB, for calling us because you're right. People need to be careful with what they do, but also they need to treat it sooner rather than later to make sure that their symptoms get better quickly. So thanks for that advice and for bringing up the Advil solution. We've got another caller. We've got Kalia from Waikiki. Kalia, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hi. Hello. What can we do for you today? Yes. Uh, back in 06, I was having back pain. The, um, what do you call it, the arthritis doctor, the um, rheumatologist, he put me on 2,400 milligrams a day um, of, what's that stuff? We just, we're just talking about it. Um, the non-steroidal Yeah, the non-steroidals, the uh, ibuprofen. Ibuprofen, plus he was giving me sulfasalazine and etoldalac. Oh, they're all non-steroidals. However, after a year, it didn't get better. just kept getting worse and worse. And I asked him about infection, and he did a blood culture. Couldn't find anything there. And then it got so bad, I begged him to, do an, to get me an, um, an MRI, which he did against his better judgment. The next day, he says, I'm going to admit, I'm, I'm admitting you to the hospital immediately. You've got a spinal epidural abscess. It turned out that the MRI showed that my T8 and T9 vertebrae were totally gone and half of my spinal cord was gone, which is why I was having a lot of numbness and weakness in my legs. Anyway, they, it, it was... Um, an atypical mycobacterium, mycobacterium avium. They gave me all kinds of antibiotics, no effective cure. Eight months later, I was a T8 paraplegic. I've been bed-bound ever since. So these things can go very, very wrong. And it, there are reasons why one would want to get an MRI. Well, Kalia, your point's well taken, and in your situation, you're right. You did have a really atypical presentation and, and also an atypical infection. I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through that. I've been bedbound for five years. Well, and I'm so glad that you were insistent that, hey, it wasn't working out the way you expected, and you wanted to make sure that you got something done because you just, it didn't feel right to you. So It didn't feel right, and, of course, being paraplegic and bedbound for that long, the dead, rotten legs, I wanted to get those off. It practically took an act of Congress, but I found a doctor that got rid of both of them. Now I'm looking, looking into getting into the ocean and using my arms to go swimming. 
Kalia, we wish you the best of help. I mean, the best of health. And we really hope that things work out for you. Uh, Dr. Garcia, tell me, in people who have a situation where they don't get better, it's been in this case, it was, you know, a year or so that she was experiencing this. There is a point where MRIs are helpful. When is that point? So with her, in her particular case, without really knowing um, specific details, I mean, with an abscess, that's definitely an an emergency, and I would have expected uh, the symptoms to to come earlier rather than later. You would have fevers, you would have um, just worsening, not only pain but weakness in your legs and stuff like that. So, but for for somebody else who you know, unfortunately, Kalia had this really major problem. She also had the atypical mycobacterial infection, which often doesn't give you your usual signs or symptoms. But for your average everyday person, you know, there is a point at which if you're not getting better, imaging studies are helpful. It might not be the first day you have an injury of your back or even the first week. But when do those come into play when you don't have red flag symptoms? So you don't have serious weakness. At what point, if you're not getting better, should you do more studies? When the pain becomes chronic, I think. It's and that when, would be, that would be three months into three months or more. your symptoms, yes. So if I came in to see you and I said, I threw my back out last night, I really shouldn't be disappointed if you don't want to put me in an MRI machine because no, yes. I just did it last night. At this point, yeah, that would be watchful waiting. As and I maybe do what earlier. JB mentioned, take some non-steroidals, exactly. take them quickly, try and get my yes. get the heat off of it, shall we say. And then when the time came that I wasn't getting better, that's when we're going to look at some studies if it's been over three months. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it varies from individual to individual, and you really have to take it on a case-by-case basis. But in general, that would be, you know, that would make sense. About three months or more would make sense. Okay. All right. Well, we have another caller on the line. We have Mary from Makiki. Mary, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Hello. What can we do for you? Well, I have a comment and a question. The comment is that um, I've suffered from back and shoulder pain for about 14 years, um, and it was related to um, a compression fracture, which was just kind of a freak thing on in my uh, T6. And... Um, as a result of that and many years of sitting long, long hours at a desk, um, I had a poor posture, frozen shoulder, and lots of pain. And um, in managed care, and I belong to the local managed care um, institution, they will give you very limited um, treatment for a chronic condition like this. And um, I took all those treatments, and I really never got any better. And uh, when I had a little more time on my hands, I started taking yoga. And um, after five years of a -a twice-a-week Iyengar yoga routine with really good teachers, I've had miraculous progress. To me, it's miraculous. It's just, and my body keeps on changing. It's so, so slow. You don't necessarily know that you're getting the benefit, but if you stick with it, um, it's been amazing for me. Wow, Mary. So your advice would be when you don't get better initially, when you've tried all the other treatments, 
do something that you might not see that immediate, everything's all better response, but slowly but surely, you might see that you get better. Yeah, and I don't know if there is a regimen that we compare to the yoga, so personally, I would recommend the yoga, but from a certified Iyengar instructor. And then my question is, I have a 95-year-old mother who's experiencing sciatic pain, and her doctors tend to want to just take a pain-relieving approach for obvious reasons, being her age, Um, but the nerve pain medicine has side effects that make her uncomfortable, so she's opted not to do that. And now she's thinking about acupuncture, but for someone her age, um, do you go the route of the MRI and all the other diagnostic tools that are at hand? It's a great question, Mary. Dr. Garcia, 95. By the way, Mary, congrats to your mom for being 95. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. By itself. Yeah. It depends on her state of health, I think. Um, if she's a healthy 95-year-old lady, then by all means, it, it's worth getting an MRI and and seeing what interventions are available for her. Injections are certainly an option. If she does have sciatic pain, we can put the steroid in that in the nerve root that's potentially causing the pain. Um, it again all depends on on her her so state Mary, of health. If mom's healthy, go for it. Yeah, she might she's get better. Healthy, I okay. guess where I would draw the line is. Um, if she's maintaining a reasonable level of activity and the sciatic pain is getting in the way of that, which it is, then maybe that's where the decision should be made for more help. Well, you got to think about it, Mary. She's 95. So you want to make sure. <laughs> well, right. I mean, you want to make sure that you keep her comfortable. I'd hate to hear about a 95-year-old living out their last couple of days, if not years, if not several years, in severe pain all the time. So you kind of want to balance, let's just be happy, mom's happy and alive, and she has pain whenever she moves with, is there something we could do to make her feel a little better and give her a little better quality of life? So, you know, Dr. Garcia, you mentioned there are some things. There might be some shots. There might be some other treatments that she might be a candidate for. And if it does only work short term, hey, she might only be looking short term. Exactly. It's worth it to have it done once or twice a year. Hey, do it. If it makes your your mom uh, be able to enjoy things that she still can enjoy. At Go this for point, it. Then, then do it. Particularly yeah, exactly. if, you know, some of the other medications give you side effects. This is a way that you could potentially get better with without having to deal with chronic medications. And God forbid exactly. something makes somebody dizzy when they're 95. And then we have That's, a whole nother host of problems if they're falling. So sounds like it's worth it, Mary. That's our consensus. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Gerald Garcia from the Hawaii Institute for Pain. We're talking about back pain. And if you or someone you love have had it, you can share with us your experience and tell us what happened and worked for you. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hello, Michael Titterton here. It's happened again, you know, yet another public radio station on the mainland with a fine record of membership and a strong administration listened to those voices who believed no one wanted to hear classical music. Ooh-wee, after a 40% drop in listenership, they're now deciding what else to do. Returning to the music no one wants to hear? Or what do you think? Meanwhile... 
please consider an early donation to Celebration 2013. Seems we don't have to worry about such things. Government shutdowns can be kind of abstract, but also very, very real. Now with the shutdown, orders can't come in. There's no one to fill out the paperwork. There's no one to place the orders. So it's taking a slow system and slowing it down even more. I'm Kai Rizdal. Government Interrupt This goes on next time on Marketplace from 8 p.m. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Gerald Garcia from the Hawaii Institute for Pain. And we're talking about back pain today. Some people have thought of some really interesting ways that have helped them. So far, we've heard about yoga. We've heard about taking medication. And again, physical therapy and learning how to do activities correctly can help just about anybody if you're doing it the right way. Sometimes, even though you're 95, there might be some help for you. So never give up. But we've got a couple more callers on the line who want to talk about their experience with pain. We've got Nicholas from Kauai. Nicholas, thanks for being so patient. Welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What can we do for you today? Well, I'm 60, and uh, 40 years ago I had my first knee surgery, and uh, that was up at Tripler. And then I just had a knee replacement this last December. And the knee replacement has been a bit of a problem. And uh, anyway, for quite a while I was walking with a limp. And... uh, you know, I've gotten back to where I'm walking pretty normal now, but I have left sacroiliac pain that came on a few months ago, and now it's sort of going over to the right side occasionally also. And uh, other than that, you know, my back's pretty much okay. I've been pretty athletic all my life and active and all, but uh, just because of this knee thing, it, it definitely tweaked my back, and it's right there in that sacroiliac area. And you're wondering what to do about it? Well, I don't know if anything can be done about it. You know, I have an inversion table, and I hang upside down regularly, and I do stretching, and uh, I keep active. I don't sit around. I try to watch my posture. Nicholas, but, uh, you're doing a lot yeah, of good things. Pardon me? You're doing a lot of good things. I give you credit. You've really taken an initiative. you got the inversion table. You're doing the exercise. You're doing the stretching. And you brought up a really good point because as we see more and more people get arthritis, particularly of joints like knees and hips, sometimes we don't realize that when they're walking, that can set off their alignment. And now they have a whole different problem with their back or with their sacroiliac joints or with their opposite knee. So it's a really interesting point you bring up that we don't realize. You may not have to actually injure your back, but if you have another joint problem, it can affect your back. It can be a secondary issue, and it can still be just as painful. So I'm curious, Dr. Garcia, poor Nicholas, sacroiliac pain, is there anything we can do? Yes, there is actually. Nicholas, that's a really good, uh, you brought up a really good point. You know, sacroiliac joint for other le- listeners uh, is a joint that joins your pelvis to your spine. And it's, it's often missed. When people have back pain, they can't, you don't think of the sacroiliac joint immediately. And so you, it's something to take into consideration. So you always start with conservative ways to treat your pain like Nicholas has been doing. And even do some therapy because there's ways to stretch it out and um, uh, change the positions and posture. Uh, there's injections as as uh, we can. We you can inject the knee. You can also inject the sacroiliac joint. 
it's usually done with x-ray guidance. You can also um, do topical agents like creams and uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory creams and patches in that area because that's an arthritis is really what it is of that joint. Um, and uh, that's pretty much a gamut of, of what you could do for that type of pain. All right, Nicholas. So that's what we've got. There are some options. You're doing a great job keeping active, great job doing the exercise and stretching, possibly topical creams that are non-steroidal, possibly taking injections. But, you know, you bring up a good point, which is we often don't think about sacroiliac joint because it doesn't seem to us like it's a joint you bend. You can't really see it. Exactly. And yet you can still have arthritis there, and it can be quite painful. It can, and it's a pretty common cause of low back pain that, you know, gets missed when when we are trying to diagnose what the pain generator is in your back. Now, is it does it feel different than if you had pain from another source, if it is that sacroiliac joint? Yes. Uh, sacroiliac joint pain doesn't usually radiate to below the knee. It can refer pain to the hip area, sometimes back of the thigh uh, and buttock. And it's also... Pain usually is exacerbated when you go up steps, upstairs, get in and out of car, switch positions from squatting to standing. Those are common uh, uh, things you think of when when you, you're worried about sacroiliac joint pain. Sounds like triggers that could happen to a lot of folks. All right. Well, good to know. So there are some things Nicholas can do. There are some treatments that might help him. Happy to know that there's some things that uh, that might work. We've got Malachi on the line from Honolulu. Malachi, welcome to the Body Show. Welcome, thank you. Great show. Uh, yeah, my story briefly is I had a discectomy, laminectomy in February, um, and uh, got very little change. And my, all my symptoms were in my legs. Varied incredibly from day to day. Part of the day, the part of the day was cramping, weakness, uh, numbness, pain, tingling, nothing in the back whatsoever. Following the surgery, nothing changed. Uh, after six weeks, the surgeon was very, very depressed. He expected things to get better in two to four weeks. Finally, in 12 weeks, I got about 90%, uh, I'd say 80, 90%. I went on a hike, I didn't even realize I had no symptoms. That's incredible. However, the things have changed. It could have been because I did a incredibly fast run in an airport at <laughs> a plane. I don't know. It seemed to get worse after that. But the uh, the intermittent symptoms are a little back, but uh, the back pain now, it, which is kind of new, is pretty uh, intense, especially in the morning or after I'm sitting uh, to where I'm kind of walking hunched over. Uh, I haven't got back in touch with my medical providers. I'm wondering... Is a second surgery a, a good idea, not a good idea? I had steroid injections in the past that did nothing. I'm very active. I swim and I bike and I have no symptoms when I do that. Walking and, you know, various postures, sitting down reading, and it's where the pain mostly is. Interesting, Malachi. So it doesn't stop you. You do a lot no, of physical and activities. No, it never did because when I swim and bike, which is two of my wonderful things I love to do, and body surf, uh, very few symptoms. Interesting. Uh, it's the walking, and now, uh, the, like, I get out of bed, and I'm like a hunchback for a while. Uh, I sit down and read for an hour or so, and I, I'm really in pain. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I always say it's good enough. So, Malachi, would, I hmm? think, you know, you have, that's, that's um, 
common to, well, I wouldn't say common, but it's it happens when patients have a surgery like a discectomy or laminectomy when they have uh, persistent pain. There are several causes of potential causes of it, which include scarring, scar tissue from the surgery, can include a herniated disc or a re-herniation of the disc that was operated on or on another level. The first thing I would do is to go to your surgeon and Mm -hmm. make sure that there is nothing, uh, sort of some sort of surgical uh, issue that may have arose from the time you had your last surgery. So that would be another MRI probably, huh? That would be up to that surgeon. And yeah. if there is uh, persistent uh, pain and the surgeon has nothing, no further surgeries to offer, you do have options. And right. it's, uh, it's epidural injections, steroid injections don't help. You can have uh, what's called the spinal cord stimulator, which is a really uh, cutting-edge technology that uh, is offered to patients who've had what we call post-laminectomy or failed back surgery syndrome. So patients who've uh-huh. had back surgery, no further surgeries have been offered and now uh, still have persistent pain. So right. you can enjoy your daily activities and stay active. Right. right. It's well, something I, to I look into. Ask, um, getting back to the trigger of the relapse, I'm wondering, could it have been running through an airport like crazy for 10 minutes where, yes. you know, I cannot run. I never run. It's possible. There's a bunch yeah. of different causes, and yeah. and yeah. at this point we can't. We're only speculating, right. Right. but right. you know, yeah. uh, you you do have options, and I would reestablish yeah. care with your medical professional, and and try to see what your options are. All right. So I hope that helps you, Malachi. I'm happy you still do all those activities, though. Swimming and biking and keeping active always good. I guess uh, if only you could bring a bike next time to the airport, you wouldn't have to run for your plane. I guess you could a bike do it. But that's unfortunate. I'm sorry that happened to you, Malachi, and I hope it gets better. We still have some callers on the line. Dr. Garcia, you are just a popular guy today. So. We've got uh, <laughs> a hot topic for everybody. I guess 80% of people will have it, so I guess we have a lot of folks out there who have experienced sorry. this. Our next caller is Mac from Makiki. Mac, welcome to The Body Show. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I just have a comment and maybe a question. I uh, Back in 93, I had a herniated disc and had a surgery for that, which I consider to be a pretty successful surgery. And But just lately, back in February, uh, I had a, a little bulging disc in my 1-2 lumbar. The back surgery was in the 4-5 lumbar area. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, affirm that fact that it could be like like that herniated disc caused a great deal of like electrical feelings and like my leg was on fire and whatnot. And that tiny little disc bulge also created uh, a terrible, like almost a spasmodic uh, convulsion if I got in a certain uh, motion. And uh, I, I, I just want to say that that's, that is the case. You don't know it could be a serious herniation or it could be just a little bulge that could cause you a a lot of sciatic pain. Um, I have since had the uh, epidural shot for the L1-2, and it's pretty successful. I just wanted to uh, comment further that um, I find that acupuncture really does help uh, in the interim uh, as far as pain goes. Uh, I'm just wondering about chiropractic and what your guys' opinion is on uh, chiropractic care. Um, I'm just nervous because when I look at a, a... X-ray of my spine. Now I'm just like, if I had a chiropractic 
you know, adjustment, I'd be afraid that maybe some little calcification on my spine might come loose and cause some worse nerve damage, you know, the way they crack your bones and whatnot. I, I just was wondering, I could take uh, your comments off the air, but um, uh, just wondering what, what you guys think of these kind of alternative therapies. It's a great question, Mac, because a lot of people are looking at those and saying, will acupuncture work? Will chiropractic work? What else can I do because I'm not getting better as either as quickly as I wanted to or I want to feel better all the time? And you, you mentioned you did have an injection, so that definitely took away some of the symptoms temporarily. Dr. Garcia, what about some of these alternative treatments? Acupuncture, chiropractic, massage, how do you feel about those? I think that they help. Um, you know, again, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Uh, I've had patients who think they, you know, get significant relief from a chiropractor. I have some patients that say they made things worse, and that's the same. You can say the same thing about any other uh, physician. So I would, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have any hesitation to go see one and see what, what it entails and, and um Maybe share your concerns and your fears. Exactly. Have them look at the same x-ray and say, yeah, I can do something or maybe not. Exactly. And usually they'll, you know, they'll offer you, uh, you know, a minimally um, a, a treatment plan that's not really going to put you at risk. And if they feel that you are at risk, then they wouldn't even they offer wouldn't it. it to you. So previous laminectomy or previous injections doesn't negate the potential of doing another procedure or doing another therapy like chiropractic? I, you know, I can't speak for a chiropractor, but, um, you know, I think it's worth a visit at the very least if if you've tried other things and nothing has uh, really helped. All right. We've got time for, we have two callers. They're going to be quick, I know. At Sarah from the Big Island, what can we do for you? Hi, am I here? You're here. All right. Well, I've been listening for about... Um, 25 minutes now, and the thing that I keep feeling is missing in this discussion is a better understanding of what physical therapy would offer these people as a potential option for treating back pain. Oh, Sarah, you missed it the whole first part of the show. We were talking about how great it is to do therapy and how that can actually be more effective than just sitting around and laying down and how you need to have a professional (laughs) monitor you so you don't think you're doing it right because I'm a prime example of thinking I stretched right but actually did it wrong. Sarah, you can listen to the podcast, and you'll be able to hear the first portion of the show where we extolled the virtues of seeing a physical therapist and how important that really is. Even in in, uh, pertaining to the last two people that have called in, though, I mean, of the list of options that was was, uh, offered up, PT is still missing in that conversation. So if it started with that, great. But But we'll mention it and make sure people realize you're absolutely right. Doing some therapy, learning the correct way to move, strengthen your core, strengthen your back. You're on it, Sarah. You're right. And Sarah brings up a good point because, you know, that's really how to approach pain. It's multidisciplinary. You should approach it from all angles and not just think of one medicine, one procedure, one injection. It's really... Take the whole thing from every single approach and and attack it from different approaches, including physical therapy, sometimes even behavioral therapy, pharmacologic or medication therapy, and interventional therapy. And that's how 
we get the best outcome. All right, Sarah, you're on our therapy team. You're part of the crew. But thanks for bringing that up, and you're absolutely right. Physical therapy, don't underestimate it. All right, Shelly, we have just about a minute. Shelly from Kailua, what can we do for you? Hi, I just wanted to contribute. I've been doing massage for a little over 20 years, and I would swear up and down that um, maybe eight or nine out of ten people that come to me with either acute or chronic or just gnawing generalized low back pain is a lot of times you, you, you talked about the sacrum, but there's also another missing piece here is the iliopsoas. I, I can't tell you how many people have left my studio relieved just from um, stimulating, you know, inside the inside the uh, ilium, the hip in there, and um, and the stretches absolutely. But I just wanted to to mention that about the iliopsoas muscle because. I, I know that it shortens and tightens, and it can cause all kinds of problems with the low back. Great point. So, Shelley, if somebody wanted to stretch out their iliopsoas, they probably need to get special instructions. Would that be right? Absolutely. Therapy, 100%. <laughs> Don't try and do this at home by yourself without knowing what you're doing. Right. And there's also, like, I just noticed, like, a whole, like, syndrome. It's, uh, the butt acts, like, the, um, the gluteus medius and minimus are always super tender and tight on these people, hamstrings always tight, IT band always very tight. So if you, you know, people who have just like a generalized, but there's, they can't get a diagnosis of anything, if they could find a therapist or a physical therapist or a massage therapist that understands how to work on these things, you know, ask your questions when you call people for, for treatment to see if they have the experience and if they know how to work on this, this type of, you know, issue. Fantastic, Shelley. Thanks for sharing that because you're right. Another another way in which physical treatment with either therapy or hands-on can help people more than they might have anticipated. Dr. Garcia, you are so going to have to come back because we even had more people calling who didn't get a chance to get in touch. Now, you do have a website and you do have a way that people can look up and see some of the things that we've talked yes. about and some of the things you yes. offer. How can they do that? So I'm happy to come back anytime for you, Dr. Kozak. All right. We'll get you on the calendar. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I do have a website. It's uh, hipain.com. That stands for Hawaii Institute of Pain.com. You can also reach my office at 808-206-5301. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being on today and thank for your you. future appearance, which I'm going to have to get you on again. And if you'd like to hear this show again, we mentioned it to Sarah as well. The podcast will be available. So you can go to hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to be talking about borderline personality disorder. Don't we all have a little bit of personality issues we'd like to know more about that's going to be monday at five we will see you then right here on the body show thanks for joining us